my grandmother did pass away, but we had a very, very, very close relationship growing up. She was truly like a second mom. Losing her was really hard. A lot of people, you feel like they have that one person that they can go to that will hug them and hold them no matter what happens and always be their cheerleader, will never judge them. And I feel like I lost that person in my life and I lost her at a very young age, which is was really hard. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls. And the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you. What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome to another episode of How My Parents Raised Me. Thank you for connecting with these stories each week and please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review and share this podcast with someone that might need to hear it. You know, it only takes one person to end generational trauma in a family. The generations of abandonment or abuse or judgment or whatever has come before us can be so deeply entrenched. As little kids, we don't even need to be told that the love we're receiving is conditional. We learn that. We don't need to be told that we're unimportant. We learn that. And perhaps our parents learnt that from their parents and so on and so on. And then by the time we have our own kids, that's what we understand to be normal behaviour. But it only takes one person to end that cycle to stop that cycle in our family story. And in order to do that, the first thing we need to do is realize that what we learned and what we were shown is not the way we want to move forward. It's recognizing what has been labeled as normal and knowing that it's not what we want for our own kids. And then we can make a change. But whatever we do will affect our kids and their kids just like the actions of our parents and grandparents have affected us. Recognize the things you know need to change. Take action towards that change and seek help if you need support with that. It's really powerful to be that person in your family who changes and breaks those negative cycles. This week, I'm chatting with Annette and Annette was born to parents who were only 17 years old at the time and barely out of childhood themselves. Life was chaotic and unpredictable and scary. And then Annette lost two of the people closest to her in her life when she was only seven years old. She was left alone and confused with no one to really explain what had happened. 
I love Annette's journey because she's learned so much and has so much good stuff to share. And she's on a mission to ensure the relationship she has with her son is different to the relationship she had with her own mum. Please join me in hearing Annette's story. Hi, Annette. Welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you for having me on today. When you look back at your very earliest memories, the first things that you can remember, what are the feelings associated with those very early times? Yeah, as a child growing up, I had a very mixed childhood. So I was so I was born to a teenage mother, and so her and my father were never married. They broke up very shortly after I was born. And they had a very toxic relationship. I mean, they were both very young. They were both in and out of, you know, doing the things you do as a teenager, going to parties, hanging out with friends, going to concerts, all of that stuff. And then you throw a child into the mix. So I have a lot of feelings um, growing up of feeling that kind of chaotic experience. But then also the duality part of it comes in because I was raised inside my grandparents' home. So my mom lived at home with my grandparents. And so I had a lot of their love and support surrounding me as well in the home so that it was beneficial. But there were definitely these two dynamics that I could feel happening just throughout my childhood. And I would say those are my earliest memories are the memories of, I I knew my parents loved me, but I also knew that when I was around them, there were going to be feelings of chaos. There was going to be feelings between them. I could, I always remember feelings of toxic and just bad blood between my parents. That has been something that has been from the get-go. I don't remember a time when they ever loved each other. But the nice thing is, is that because I was able to grow up at home with my grandparents as well, I was able to experience what love feels like between parents. Even though they were my grandparents, I was able to still see what those relationships were like, and then also feel how that impacted me growing up as well. That's interesting, isn't it? To have totally different dynamics there with the two two couples. So your mum was really young when you were born. So what was she like as a mum? Yeah. So as a mom, she was, uh, she was, I mean, she was young. Like she was doing the absolute best that she could when I was born. I mean, she was a 17 year old, just turned 17 when I was born. So she was doing the absolute best that she could, but she also was trying to experience, you know, her own life still. And uh, looking back, I absolutely understand that because, uh, I mean, I think about when I was 17 and where I was at, I was in no way, shape or form ready to uh, start a family. And some people are, right? Like some people intentionally get married young and intentionally start a family young, but she wasn't ready to do that. So she was a, um, a very good and loving mother, but she also had kind of her own two lives, right? Where she would be there, she would work, she was always a hard worker. And so she, since the day I was born, I think has held a job. So she has always had a very strong work ethic, but then she's always been trying to figure out, okay, how do I balance that with being able to go out, right? And at 17, it's partying. And I hate to say it that way because it makes it sound like, oh, she was out and partying and all that. And it's like, yeah, she was, but again, she was a teenager. She was a child, right? Absolutely. So uh, I think there was, that was that bit of a struggle. So I remember 
so again, she was a great mom, but I remember her struggling with that piece of it, being able to go out, have fun, live her life, and then also figure out how to be a mom. And it's funny because I think that's something that all moms do, even at no matter what age, right, is trying to figure out how to balance that piece of having your own identity, but then also being a parent. And it just so happens that I mean, what, at like 17, like they say your prefrontal cortex isn't, you know, fully developed. And it just so happens she's going through all of this at the same time. And I'm being kind of caught in the crosshairs of her trying to figure out what life is about with a child. Yeah, absolutely. And 17 is very young. I think when we're 17, we think that we know everything and we're, we can take on the world. But I look at 17 year olds and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, they're just babies. They're babies themselves. Having their own child, that's a big thing. So did you feel supported by your mum and loved by her? Yeah, I think I have always felt, so I've always felt supported and loved by her, of course, because of the fact that I would see her being gone because she was gone during the day working. And then sometimes she would be gone at night or she would be gone on the weekends and I would be home with my grandparents. And I think I saw that though, as uh, like missing her, right? Because I felt like I never got to see her some of the time. And so I think that I always knew that she loved me, but I always kind of craved a little bit more of her. And that was hard growing up because then I would associate situations where I would get her attention with repeating that behavior, right? So Mm -hmm. for example, one big thing that has always stood out for me when it comes to both my parents and when I think about like both my parents and actually getting along is has to do with schooling. And so I specifically remember a situation where I was in kindergarten and in kindergarten at my school, I went to a very small school. So they do this every year and it's super cool, but you have a, I think it's each week or each month. I'd have to do the math, but you get a, you have a letter and you create like a poster board and then you cut out pictures of things that are on that letter. So I remember specifically this time, those was on the letter G. And I remember it was one of the times where my parents were actually getting along for the sake of me and it had to do around school so we were cutting things out and one of the things we put on there was gnats and I think that's probably why it stuck out for me was because it was one of those things where I'm like oh gnats is spelled with a g not an n right so that might have been why I remember it so vividly or what I tell myself right but I think I associated now a lot of those school situations with those positive like positive reinforcement and positive behaviors from my parents. So I have always been a really good student, regardless of anything I've ever done as far as, yeah, I mean, it's always been, I've always been a good student. Um, I've always had great grades, never really got in trouble in school. In high school, I didn't really attend and that's a whole, we can go over that too. (laughs) But in high school, um, I went from the small private school to a very big high school and it was a completely different world and I didn't transition very well. So I ended up uh, getting my GED early and just moving on to college. But from a very young age, I really associated with being a great academic student with positive feelings when it came to family time. So I think that it has carried that carried with me about always studying and trying to get good grades and just being the smart person because that's when I felt loved the most, right? That's amazing, isn't it? That's so amazing right there where you can actually see the time when you got that really positive connection and love is something that's carried all the way through. I just, I just love that. 
how clear that is to see. And imagine if we can all do that with our kids for all the important things so that they're actually feeling all the good stuff for everything, you know, and not just little glimpses of it here and there, which is, it's interesting, isn't it? I think it's really like for me, I've really brought it into my own parenting with my son. My sister-in-law actually had sent me a meme and it said like the most important times in a child's day is the time they wake up, the time they go to school, the time they come home from school and the time they go to bed. And I, my son didn't go to school, but he was a toddler at the time. So I, I, in my mind was like, okay, the time he wakes up from a nap, the time he goes to bed for a nap. Right. But those are the very big impressionable periods on a child throughout the day where like they have the most like emotional tie and the most impact on their life and so I think I've taken my experience with like these big periods and these big emotional things and as soon as I saw that meme I was like okay and so I try to make a very big point of when I like wake my son up in the morning I'm always so happy to see him right when we go to bed at night he doesn't nap anymore oh Um, But we do preschool now. So, so he's two and a half. So we do preschool now. So I make sure like dropping him off. I'm so happy picking him up. I'm so happy and like going to bed. I'm so happy with them. Just because I'm trying to train myself now, like you were saying to make sure that I'm prepping myself for being giving him that emotional state throughout the entire day and throughout everything that I felt like I didn't always have. And I think you get scared, right? Like I'm scared that I'm going to repeat the same mistakes. So I probably overcompensate, but I would much rather right now overcompensate than pull back or withhold anything that, you know, love that I could be giving to them. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So going back to your grandparents, they sound like they must've been lovely people because they've, they've accepted your mom for having you and a lot of people chuck their kids out don't they they don't want to know about the the pregnancy or the grandchildren so they brought you in and what was it like spending time with your grandparents yeah my grandparents um were my world and my grandfather is uh, still living so I still adore him my son is named after him he's an amazing man my grandmother did pass away but we had a very 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 close relationship growing up he was truly like a second mom and I think being around her so much, it was even closer because she was also my grandparents. Like you hear about like, you know, the bond you have with your grandmother, it's a little bit different because they're not your parents. But for her, the lines were a little bit more blurred because she was one of my primary caretakers growing up until I was seven years old. So it was, my relationship with them has been amazing. Losing her was really hard. It was a really big life-changing event. Um, I mean, I lost her at a young age and I think I still to this day have not grieved properly, grieved her loss properly. And I think losing her, I still haven't recovered from the fact that I think everyone, I shouldn't say everyone, but a lot of people, you feel like they have that one person that they can go to that will hug them and hold them no matter what happens and always be their cheerleader, will never judge them. And I feel like I lost that person in my life and I lost her at a very young age, which is, was really hard. Yeah. So how old were you when you lost your grandmother? Yeah. So I was seven years old when I lost my grandmother. um, And that was a really rough year for me. So not only did I lose my grandmother, but my father had also been sent to prison. At the time, I didn't understand why he was being sent to prison. Growing up, I was very much a daddy's girl, just because, you know, my father, he wasn't around all the time, but like when he would would come, like weekends, right? Like I was primarily with my mother. So I would have, you know, it wasn't a set schedule, but 
it would normally be like weekends and maybe a week here or there or something during the summer. But of course, like he would spoil me, right? Because he doesn't have to care for me all the time. So he has the money, he has the resources to be able to spoil me when he has me because then he doesn't have to support me all the time, right? I mean, I remember that was a big issue between my parents. And I think it sometimes can be between a primary and a secondary caretaker because you have that primary who has to do all the support. And then you have to do that secondary who's like, oh no, I have money when you're here because I don't have to pay for you all the time, right? So yeah, so I was a very big daddy's girl and that was really hard because he had gone off to prison and at seven years old, I'm not understanding why. Um, I'm like, what did you do wrong, right? So he went, so when I was three years old, he was had issues with alcohol and he was convicted of vehicular homicide. So he was drinking and driving and hit some, hit someone else's car and the person died. So he actually only got, I think like 18 months or something and like what they call a workhouse. And then he ended up violating probation when I was seven and he got sent back for five years. So that was, I mean, a pretty hefty violation, or at least that's as far as what I know, right? So, and I think it was really hard because I didn't know how to process it. And my mom, of course, again, had a very toxic relationship with him. So when I would cry for him, of course, looking back, like I I get it, but like at that point, I didn't understand why she was so angry that I missed him. So it was something that I don't, or that I didn't try to say or if I did say it it was just I felt like I didn't have support and then a few months later my grandmother because my grandmother had cancer so she was sick during this whole time and a few months later she ended up passing away and again I felt like I didn't have a very I don't feel like I was able to very to process that very well the grief um, because again my mother was my mother was also very close with her and you know loved her dearly that was her mom and she I don't think was able to properly process and grieve so it was hard for her if she's not able to do it let alone guide a seven-year-old through the process right so it's something that to this day I still don't think I have properly grieved over it. It's something I'm working on, but I pretty much, when it comes to my grandmother, unfortunately, I had through a majority of my life, um, just kind of not thought about it, not thought about her because it hurt so much. And I didn't, every time I thought about her, I talk about her, like I cry. So like, this is actually probably the first time I've been able to kind of like talk about her and, and get through it without bawling. It's just, it's always, it's always been a sore spot. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're seven, you don't understand really what you're feeling and you don't understand what's happening. And if nobody's really able to explain it and let you talk it through or anything like that, it must be very hard because you must just end up feeling abandoned and lonely and, and not understanding. Yeah, I think for our situation, it could have happened better if if I think she was able to manage her own feelings. Because again, when I'm seven, she's only what? She's in her mid-20s, right? Yeah. So again, she's still young and she's still going through all of these um, emotions on her own. And I mean, I'm trying to think of someone that was else that was really close to her that passed. And I can't really think of anything where it would have had a similar impact. So she didn't have anyone to really guide her through this. And my grandfather, bless him, he's just lost his wife, like, and his daughter is out of the house and he's trying to process everything too. So I think what could have been done differently would have been, I definitely think therapy, especially because I think 
at the time, I think therapy for a while has been something that people don't do because out of pride, right? Like I don't need it. I can handle my emotions myself. But I think if uh, we would have taken the time to recognize that these are a lot of emotions that we can't handle and uh, would have gone to someone else to help us figure out how to work through them, it would have been really helpful. So that's why I, right now in my adult life, am very big on therapy um, for myself because I, and not just therapy, but just all kinds of resources to help me be a better person and to be a better parent. So in addition to therapy, which helps me and also helps me be a better parent because I'll bring up stuff about like, this is how I feel about parenting. Like, am I being too harsh disciplining this way? Am I not being harsh enough? Like, how do I do this? Because I'm trying to figure it out. But then also I really look for other resources. Um, like we have early childhood and family education in my area. And it's basically where you go with your child and you are with people who trained teachers, people who are trained in early childhood education behaviors and it's such a huge support for me like during COVID when it was down I felt it like there would be times where my son would be throwing or hitting and I'm like what do I do right like I'm just feel like I'm just swimming like I'm throwing different colored spaghetti at a wall seeing what'll stick right and there's like no there's very little guidance when you're on your own but when I'm in these classes and I've been going since my son's been six weeks old I notice that I can bring it up with all the other parents and with the teacher educators and be like okay, my son is hitting or my son is, is having issues. You know, what do we do? And there's so much support. So that's definitely how I've been trying to shift from what I've experienced and the gaps that have happened to making sure I don't have the same thing happen in my life and my son's life. And I think it's just good to have those support systems in general. Like you can never have too much support is what I'm definitely learning, but you can't have too little. So yeah, I really absolutely. try to include that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure depending on your, your situation, some people probably have no support. So yeah, yeah, it must be really hard for, for people in those situations. What about your dad then? Have you had much relationship with him because he wasn't around very much? Yeah. So the interesting thing was, I think, so I didn't have much contact with him when he was in prison. My mother brought me a few times to go see him and then she just didn't. And that's, you know, she was doing again the best that she could and what she thought was in my best interest at the time whether it was or wasn't neither here nor there now so I didn't have much interaction with him and I think over a I mean five years is a long time so I think over a five-year period I really built up this character of who I thought he was like I thought he was this amazing person you know and things like that like I just I was missing a piece of me. My grandmother had just died. I felt alone. I felt abandoned. And I'm like, okay, he would have been, you know, he's that person. And when he got out of prison, I ended up moving in with him. And uh, my stepmom and I had a relationship for a while. I still have a relationship with my stepmother. and But with my biological father, we actually don't have a relationship anymore. He, unfortunately, I think had too many issues, personal issues, that he just wasn't willing to take the steps necessary to become better because it's available to you. You have the options for therapy. He was no longer, um, he had issues with alcohol. He didn't drink since the, you know, he got in that accident. Alcohol wasn't the issue, but I mean, he had gone to prison and prison, there's, you know, PTSD, there's all sort of sorts of things that can happen because of your interactions with other people, along with your, he still, you know, was dealing with the after effects of alcoholism and having to get through that and addiction and how, you know, that has on your life. So it finally got to a point actually 
I want to say maybe six years ago, seven years ago, where I ended up having to cut him out of my life just because I knew that I was going to start my own family soon. And I, I think it came down to a part of me. I had to protect my unborn children, I guess is what you would say, right? Like I had to protect my own energy too. I mean, because there's only so much you can give. And I think I had hit a point where as the child, I was sick of giving all my energy to my parent. Like I was done being the caretaker at that point and I was ready to just again cut ties, protect my energy and move on with my life and wish them or wish him the best. Yeah, I understand that completely. So when your mum and dad were together, they were both drinking quite a lot, were they? So they actually were never really together since I was born. I think they might have been together for maybe a little bit in the first year of my life. Um, but they were never yeah, they were never together while I was while I was alive. But but there were definitely times where I have pictures where they would be together, they would be drinking. And my mom had, you know, again, she was a young teenager. So of course she's going out and she, you know, is drinking and everything like you do when you're a teenager, like I did when I was a teenager. So they never did it together, but they definitely did it apart. And it was something that was prevalent throughout my childhood was alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know much of your father's life? What was his childhood like? Was he abandoned in his childhood? Because I I feel, I feel like a lot of these situations are caused from cycles of your parents didn't have a great experience themselves and then it sort of goes back through the generations doesn't it do you know much about that yeah so for my father um he was adopted and i know that he i mean he knew that he was adopted to a family who was you know a traditional family mom dad they ended up having i believe there's three uncles yeah three children and then they adopted my father and his biological sister so they didn't know much at first about their you know their background eventually we did find out you know his biological mom and we he found other biological siblings that he had that weren't adopted with him but yeah so i think his mom had you know issues she had to give her children up for adoption and so I think with any adoption, there's probably always this feeling a little bit of abandonment just because you're like, you know, why didn't that person keep me, right? You're just kind of like wondering. So I think it was good that he ended up meeting her and was able to create a relationship with her. And I was able to create a relationship with her too, briefly before she passed away. And I think that was good because it helped to give a little bit of closure, but I think it's still kind of sucked because there were children that she did keep and there were children that she gave gave away and it was because of yeah. you know the circumstances and I don't know the exact details so I don't want to tell someone else's story that I'm not 100% on I don't remember I should say the exact details but she did end up raising I believe two of her own children but then she had three three or four that she gave up for adoption so that's hard. Like yeah. you're like, okay, so why was I not raised by you? And he, again, he was raised by a married couple that took him in as family and everything. So, but I think there's still just that wondering of like, what if, or why not me or, you know, stuff like that, that comes up. And then like I said, for my mom, I think it was more of like, my grandparents were great. She just was a teenager. So she, you know, was still, gosh, I'm trying to think even when I was mid twenties, like I was still 
balancing life and you know all of that and she's working full-time like my goodness like I said before she was a great worker like but it was just she was young yeah yeah absolutely so what about when you became a teenager how did your life go at that point because you've you lost dad and your grandmother quite early then you must have been just trying to cope and get through those early childhood years and then get to teenagers we go a bit crazy don't we oh yeah and I I mean I I was very um I say mature but of course I made immature decisions but I very much felt like I was in charge of my life I was in charge of my decisions because of how much I had to learn and grow so quickly so if I wanted to go somewhere I was like okay I'm going to go right? Like, you're not going to tell me no, or if you are, it's just, I'm going to go. I was very much independent at that point um, and uh, trying to live my own life. I will say I was blessed throughout my teenage years to have my stepmother because when I was living with my father and she was there, she was, uh, she's 10 years older than me, She's 10 years older than me, 12 years younger than my father. So having her there and having her kind of at that younger age at the time while I'm going through the teenage years, it was nice because she was able to understand what I was going through because she just went through it as a teenager, right? Like she was only 10 years older than me. But then she also was able to help me, guide me through making certain decisions. So it was really nice to have her around because I probably would have... uh, gotten in more trouble in the sense of like going out whenever I wanted it, you know, doing whatever I wanted, but she was there to be like, no, don't do that. Like, and I think I had a different respect for her than I did for my parents. So I was able to actually listen to what she was saying and, uh, and take her advice. Right. Like, I think I lost a little bit of respect for my parents because of my frustration growing up and my frustration just with the entire situation. So it made it really hard for me to want to listen to them. I mean, your kids don't want to listen anyway. They want to do their own thing. And so for me, it was just that much harder because I had all these reasons of why I shouldn't listen to them, right? Like I would tell myself, how do you know any better? You know, stuff like that. Even if they, you know, obviously did know better because they were, you know, my parents and they were older and they were trying to help. But I think having my stepmom there was a, you know, saving grace for me um, throughout my teenage years. Yeah, it sounds like she was just that one person that you needed because yeah. if you don't have that, if you don't have anybody when you're a teenager and there's nobody keeping tabs on what you're up to and you can make some kind of crazy decisions, can't you, and go yeah. down the wrong, the wrong path pretty quickly, I guess. Do you have anything to do with her in your life now? Absolutely, yeah. So my, she and my dad had a son, so my younger brother. So we are still in touch. We are very much close. She has since remarried and it's like one big happy blended family. And I think that sometimes like, it's really hard to tell people like the dynamic of it because they're like, wait, who, who, who? And I'm like, I know it's very blended. Like she's my stepmother. No, she's not with, you know, and this is my, cause I'll tell people this is my stepmother's husband. And they're like, so your dad. And I'm like, no. And then I have to, you know, kind of explain the situation a little bit. So I think it's really funny just how blended we've all become. And it's really nice too, because it has also shown me just growing up, not having a lot of support. And then now just being so blended that people you call your aunt, they don't have to be your blood aunt. People you call your cousin or 
your grandma or, you know, whatever, you can adopt those people without unofficially without having to have the formality of what's behind that, right? Because you're kind of, you're taking, they're, even if they're a friend of the family and they're close and they're your support system, that's fine. Call them your aunt, call them your uncle, call them your brother, right? You know, yeah. because they're family. Like if you don't have that support system, you start to build that support system yourself and that's okay. And that's just a blended family. And so, yeah, so that's our whole dynamic. And I really come to enjoy kind of explaining it to people now. I think there was a period of time where I was ashamed and I was only ashamed because I grew up in a Christian school and there wasn't a lot of blended families in a Christian school. I mean, it's religious. You have a lot of mom, dad, no divorce. So I felt a lot like the black sheep and I brought that with me, I think through life for a long period of time. And I'm just, uh, I think over the last couple of years have really started to embrace the idea of like, this is how life is. It's a blended family. This is how I grew up. You know, this is what it is. Kind of accept me as I am. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And what about when you met your husband? What was his family like? Yeah, so that was another situation where I felt like I kind of was peeling back the layers because because it's kind of like that first date, right? Like I didn't want to come on too strong and be like, oh, like here's the whole thing. Um, <laughs> so I, especially because I knew that he had a very traditional family and a very traditional um, upbringing when it came to family, which is, which is awesome. Like I wish everybody could have that, you know, in a perfect world where everybody's supported and they have that traditional life, but it doesn't always happen and that's okay too. And so he had a very traditional, like mom and dad together. He had three siblings and everyone in the family, I shouldn't say everyone, but like his siblings, two of his siblings were married, they had kids and it was just very normal is the word I'll use. And so when I met my husband, I kind of like was trying to peel it back layer by layer and uh, bless him. He has been completely supportive, completely accepting of me regardless of how crazy he thinks the family dynamic is, he loves it and he gets involved. And because I think I've seen situations where like husbands will maybe, or wives won't go to family events, right? Or they'll just avoid or ignore. And he has been amazing in the sense that he realizes this is completely different from what he's used to and he's embraced it wholeheartedly and i'm so happy i found him because he'll invite my parents over knowing that like they might show up on the harley right like my stepdad like he he has a harley like it's awesome and it, instead of you know showing up in a car right like he will invite them over and then uh, it's been amazing really for my son as i talk about it and just think about it because like when i have his birthday I have uh, my husband's side of the family who gets to come, so all his cousins. And then I just think about like all these people that show up that are so involved and love my child because I've been able to embrace all aspects of my family. So I have my stepmom and her husband and her husband's family now who call themselves my son's great, uh, great grandma. I'm like, that is so amazing. Like he has all this extended family and people who love him. And then I'll have, you know, my brother and then my own parents. So that's another grandma, grandpa, grandpa. And then I have a great, my, my own grandfather who comes in and, you know, my aunt who is my, um, my mom's sister and her family. So it's really amazing. And my husband's embraced it all. Like he's just like, okay, this is part of the chaos and he loves them all too. Oh, I love that. That sounds just sounds like there's so much love, right? And yeah, it doesn't, so it's, 
It doesn't matter where oh, it comes from. It's coming yes. from, from every angle. So that's just amazing. Yeah. I love that. So how do you think that your childhood has impacted your life now as an adult? What do you think are the things that have impacted you most? Yeah, I think the things that have impacted me most growing up are I have seen things that I want to do differently, but I think I think everyone has that piece, right? Whether you grow up with a mom or with your parents married or they're divorced or they're separated or they were never married, I think everybody grows up with things that they that have happened because they were the norm back in the day, right? Like you have spankings. Spankings were normal. And now, like, I don't plan on doing any spankings with my son. I just don't, I don't agree with it. I think there's also ways that, you know, disciplining, um, other ways of disciplining that were done that I choose not to do. Like, timeouts are what we do, and we do, you know, two minutes, and that's it. But then I think there's also just other ways that we talk to our, ch- talk to our children that are different from the ways we were talked to, because we're also learning more and more, right? With the internet and everything, we're able to start reaching out for more advice from people that aren't in our immediate circle. So I've really learned to start doing that, to start reaching out and building up my support system since I've been a kid and finding support elsewhere. And it's carried through with me to my own son. And I think a couple of other things that I would do differently or that I do do differently is just making sure that my son knows that I always love him, that love isn't conditional. And I don't think my parents, of course, did that intentionally, but I think it was just an effect kind of afterthought of the situation because there was so much anger between them. I couldn't process what part I contributed to and what part I didn't contribute to. And then, of course, like any kid with divorced or split up parents, I would play both sides. Absolutely. So then, but then that also looking back, I think puts a little guilt on myself about like, okay, how much of it was my fault? And I'm still working through, like, it wasn't my fault. I was a child. I was trying to process it. So I'm really trying to do better in that sense when it comes to just the whole emotional intelligence of my son. Absolutely. And it's good that you pointed out that we do have access to a lot of information these days. You can look back at how they've dealt with stuff over the years, right the way back through the generations. But I do feel like these days, we really do have so much more information at hand just to find something that fits in with the way that we really want to do it. Absolutely. And I think another thing that I've always remembered is that they were doing their best. I may not have thought, like, their best may not have been, like, super amazing, but for them, like, I always remember that my parents were truly doing the best that they could with the tools that they had at the time, Mm -hmm. and I think that's another piece why I am just trying to make sure that I have as many tools as I can have, because sometimes I find myself forgetting to brush the teeth or (laughs) skipping bath time. And then I get so like guilty on myself and I remind myself I'm doing my best. Like tomorrow I will continue to do better. And I think that has really helped me just not only process what was happening as a child, like, because I think like you brought up the word blame, right? Like it helped me let go of uh, that kind of blame or thinking like, how could you do this? Or why didn't you do this? And it's like, it's because you were doing what you could with what you had to offer. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you talked about therapy. Are there any other things that you've done over the years that help you? So I, so therapy has been very, very helpful um, just because I'm an auditory processor. Like I talk through things. That's how I process. That's how I think about it. So therapy has helped a lot. And I mean, you can tell just by the way, I'm answering these questions in the interview, right? Like I go through it. I have done meditation that has helped a lot with just these feelings of overwhelm, which I think are just the aftermath of growing up in a chaotic environment. I'm now as an adult in a situation where there isn't chaos, right? We're not worried about money. We're not worried about, there's no animosity between me and my husband. We're together. We have a loving marriage and, you know, the like I said, the bills are paid. There's a roof over our head. Everyone's fed and everyone's in a loving situation. And I think that has been growing up with all that chaos. I've had to figure out, okay, I almost feel like jittery for no reason, right? Like it's anxiety and, and such stuff like that. And so I've had to meditate just to center myself. And I think that has been really helpful for me to just focus on the present and the fact that it's okay. There doesn't always have to be something going on. And I'll give an example of how I just thrive in chaos, or at least I think I thrive in chaos if it's what I'm used to, right? So we have my son and then we have two dogs, we had two dogs and uh, my son what is now two and a half and around when he was like turning two and a half, so, or two, you can hear them now, my dogs, um, <laughs> but around when he was turning to all of a sudden, you know, a couple of weeks, it just felt very like we were in the flow. And a lot of people I think would say, oh, that's awesome. Like we're in a flow. I have all this time. Everything's calm. And for me, I'm like, okay, what's next? So we go and get a German shepherd puppy mix. And oh my gosh, now looking back, I'm like, I love her, but oh, now there's it's chaos again, right? She ate two yeah. couches, pillows are out. There's barking everywhere. My son is now chasing the dogs all around, right? And so I definitely need to continue to work on finding my Zen. So I don't go yeah. do that again when stuff starts to calm down because I can only have so many dogs in the city. Right. But I haven't done much else. I am still exploring what is out there because it's still, it's something I'm going to be processing the rest of my life. Right. Like these are feelings and situations I'm going to have to continue to heal from. And I think everybody has their own situations and I'm just going to continue to figure out what works. Yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it? How we are so comfortable with what we're used to. So you're so yeah. comfortable with that chaos that you perpetuate that in your life. And I think, you know, we're all doing that in different ways with the things that were comfortable to us growing up. So that's a really interesting point. So what's your relationship with your mom like now these days? Yeah, so we are, we still talk. Um, we are still, um, we are still in touch. Um, I think with COVID, like it was so, and our relationship ebbs and flows, right? So we went for a period during my teenage years where I was living with my father. So I didn't talk to her as much, right? And it's mainly because I was with him. She didn't like him, you know, things like that. So it was avoided. And then we got very close for a while and we're seeing each other consistently. And then now that I've had my son, I think I haven't been able to see her as much, which I know she doesn't like because it's her grandson, but it's also the timing of things, right? Like I'm now staying home. I'm running my own business. So we, and then COVID happened. So we haven't been able to see each other as much. So but we're still in touch. We still, you know, we love each other. 
and it's a relationship that we continue to work on. The dynamic has definitely changed as I got older because I think there was a lot of pain and hurt that I was holding on to for quite a long time. And because of that, I wasn't really letting her into my life as much as I should have been. I was kind of like putting up a wall. Um, so I, over the last, you know, eight years or so have been, have let that wall down and we've, you know, have been bonding more and more, but our relationship, because again, I think because she was so young, it started out kind of like, it's been a friendship more than a parent parental relationship, which is fine. There's still like, she still loves me like my unconditionally, like a mother, you know, does, but I think just the dynamic has been more of a friendship and, mm -hmm. I think it's something that I'd rather have a friendship with my mom than nothing, right? Because I know what it feels like to not have a parent in your life. And I definitely do want to have my mom in my life. Yeah. And so, you, and you have a beautiful son. Would you like to have more kids? Yeah, eventually. Yeah. You were mentioning about being worried about having oh, yeah. a girl. Yeah. So, uh, I, so that's something that I am working through and working towards. So I see, you know, the dynamic that me and my mom had and uh, we weren't as close as when I was in, again, in those teenage years, which are so crucial when you're a girl, like, I don't know what it is, but like, you know, those teenagers, you just you are very, very crucial. And so when I got pregnant with my son, I actually was very scared I was going to have a daughter. And mainly because I was scared, like, especially with my first child, I don't know what I'm doing. And I was so scared that I was going to just repeat the same mistakes over again. And so I actually, when I found out it was a boy, I cried very, very hard. And I have told people because me and my husband have been trying for number two. And so I told people, that I think the universe is going to give me a girl. So it's just waiting for me to be ready because I'm getting there and I am okay. And like, of course, if I have a daughter, like I'm going to love her. Right. But I think I just need to be in a place of Zen where I'm like, I am going to create an amazing, you know, mother daughter relationship. And I'm going to take everything that I've learned that's positive from my relationship with my mother. And then everything that I've learned that's not so positive, And I'm going to build on that and do the best that I can do right now. I'm yeah. going to do my best. And then I got to remember that there are going to be some not so positive things. Like that's just how it is. And then, but what's going to happen is my daughter has more positivity and now she can take the not so positive from our relationship and the positive stuff and she can do the best she can. Right. Like it's just breaking those generational pieces down as you keep going. Absolutely. And I think the biggest thing for anybody who's a parent is just being aware of that. I think yeah. if you're not aware of that, that's when there's problems. But when you already know that you're going to do everything you can to have a, a beautiful relationship, take all the positives and make it as, yeah. as good as you can, then I think that's half of the journey. I think it's when we're not aware that those things become an issue. So what do you think then are the biggest things that parents need to give their kids to be good parents? Yeah, as far as what to give your kid to be a good parent. I think you need to give them unconditional love. And I know that everybody says, oh, well, I do that. But no, you really need to give unconditional love. When they do something bad, you can't say, you can't be mad at them and not love them, right? So like when my son does something, I'll say, you know, I'm frustrated, but I always say I love you. Like, even if it's annoying, I'm like, oh, I'm frustrated, but I love you, right? But I always make sure and that's because that's the best I can do right now, right? Like that's, I'm trying to make sure he knows I love him. So for me, I'm like, I just flat out tell you him, I love him when I'm upset. But then I also explained to him that, you know, I am upset. I am frustrated, but it's not because of you as a person. 
it's because of maybe like your behavior. And that's one thing that I think is really being transitioned when in this new generation, because a lot of times I think in the past people have said, oh, you're naughty or you're a bad per like a bad boy, right? Or a bad girl. And I think that's something that a lot of us are becoming educated on is that we no longer want to tell our kids that they're a bad girl or that, you know, they're a bad person, but we want to say like the behavior, we want to focus on the behavior. So I think that's a big one that we need to continue to do as parents is to make sure that we're watching our verbal language when we talk to our kids and we're disciplining them or we're guiding them through is that we're not focusing on them as a person. The other big thing I think that is, is important is this idea of identity. So I have been really big on this because I think I've been struggling with finding my own identity because I took on this persona of being the smart rebel for so long. Like I was a smart kid who was getting college level test scores and, you know, eighth grade but then I was a rebel because I didn't want to conform and I wanted to do my own thing and be my own person. And, uh, and that was because of the fact that, you know, I was the kid, the black sheep, the kid of the broken family. So of course I didn't fit in, you know, like, right. so I think a lot of it, my identity was based on circumstances. So I am very careful now with my son's identity as far as what I say, because what I say is, the first interaction that he's going to have with forming his own identity and who he is. So I'm very cautious on how I describe him. Sometimes I do get frustrated because he's a toddler and then I have to go back and be like, no, it's, I'm mad that he's hitting, but like, he's a great kid. Right. Like, and I think it's also how I talk about him in front of him. I think as moms, sometimes there can be this culture of like, we say, oh, our kids are a-holes. Right. And it's like, okay, you can giggle, you can vent, but don't do it in front of your child. Don't. No matter, like, even if your kid's at the playground and you're sitting there, they can hear you. And, like, how crappy is it for you to hear your mom call you a butthead? And, like, I'll call my kid a stinker because it's better than naughty. And I'm trying, again, I'm trying to navigate it. And I'm not a perfect parent. But you definitely be careful on how you're describing your child and how you're talking about who they are, especially in front of them, because they're forming, like, like, I like to tell my son, oh, you are always, you're such a nice person. You are so funny. You are, be, and I try to say, like, be the gentle boy I know you are, or things like that, like, if he's hitting and stuff, I'm trying to do that. But I try to use those positive descriptions whenever I'm talking about him. And then even then, I sometimes will still worry, like, if I tell him, oh, you're so funny, like, what if he doesn't make someone laugh when he's a teenager? Is all of a sudden he going to, is he going to have, like, a breakdown or, you know, like, I still worry about that stuff. It's like, oh, it's a double-edged sword. Like, what do I say? But again, I'm just doing the best I can. And I'm like, at least if I'm doing the positive stuff then there is less likelihood that he is going to create a negative image of himself growing up. Absolutely. I, I think that's awesome. It really is just about putting as much good stuff into their heads, isn't it? That's really positive advice. So I wanted to just finish off by chatting to you about your new business. It's called The Fin Savvy Mum. Yeah, the Finn Savvy Mom, like the like financially savvy. Yeah, so I am a former financial advisor. So I've been in the finance field for 10 years, over 10 years now, actually. So I started at 18. Oh gosh, not to age myself now. I just realized that. But I have been in the finance field and I ended up staying home with my son two years ago when he was born, two and a half now. And now I have decided to enter the world of finance again, but instead of going back to corporate America, America, I am choosing to become a money mindset coach 
and help women and mothers specifically when it comes to how they manage not only their money, but also their mindset. So I'm really looking to help marry this idea of, yes, this is how you budget. Yes, this is how you track your spending, but also how do we now create better habits so that way we can make sustainable change? Because I can tell you how to budget all day long. There's so many resources out there and so many people that can tell you how to budget. But if we don't create that sustainable change and start making those mindset shifts, we're just going to continue to get stuck in these cycles, right? Uh, paycheck to paycheck cycle, debt cycle. It's just going to continue to perpetuate. So I'm really uh, drilling down on how do we make these mindset shifts? How do we change that? And how do we create financial life that we love? Because I am not about creating a bare bones budget. If you knew me, I am definitely not about creating a bare bones budget. I am all about experiencing life to the fullest, but you also need to do it without racking up debt because that's just going to stress you out, right? Like, yeah. you know, you need to live within your means because that's what's going to help you live fully while living your best life. So I have Starbucks all the time. I'm not the type to say cut out your latte. I am very big about budgeting in self-care and making it work for you in your lifestyle. So, and I think, again, maybe a lot of my, what doesn't, you know, there's no one size fits all. That approach to just life that has happened to me has helped me define my voice and what I wanna teach when it comes to the world of finance. That sounds amazing. I think there will be a lot of people that will love to work with you. And so where can people find you? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at the Finn Savvy Mom. You can also join my Facebook group. It's called the Financially Savvy Moms. It's a free Facebook group for you to get extra financial support. I go live every Tuesday. And then I also have my own podcast that I started recently as well. Um, it's called Scared to Savvy. It's designed to help you live your best financial life. And it's specifically, again, designed for moms. When it comes to finances, I have guest experts, myself on there each week, every Monday. We're in this together, ladies. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Well, I'll put all those links anyway in the show notes so people can easily click in and see what you're up to. Thank you so much, Annette. I've absolutely loved chatting to you today. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Yes, thanks again so much for having me. It was a pleasure. How gorgeous is Annette? She's been through a lot and she's come out the other side as super wise and grounded and with so much knowledge of how to be a great mum from looking at, you know, what are the choices and what can I do better? It's so awesome to see when life throws us a big curveball to start out and instead of disappearing down a dark path, you choose to learn and grow and understand and become just a wise and wonderful human. Here are the takeaways. Number one, kids coming from broken homes can put a lot of guilt and blame on themselves for what has happened. Always be in dialogue with your kids so that they know they have someone to talk to about how they're feeling. Number two, we can perpetuate what is familiar from childhood even if it's not good for us throughout our whole lives. So be aware of what negatives you may be creating in your life. Number three, kids associate positive reinforcement from their parents as feeling connected and loved. So they are much more likely to want to do the right thing when you create a positive environment. Number four, kids and teens will often respect a trusted family friend 
and be open to their suggestions more than their own parent. Give your kids options of who they can speak to. Number five, therapy or counseling is a positive way to get help when we're struggling with feelings. Always ask for help. Six, when there's a death or other family crisis, have your kids talk through what they're thinking and feeling because feelings can be scary, especially when we don't understand them. Seven, sometimes we need to let people go from our lives when the impact of having them around is more negative than positive. Number eight, reaching out for advice outside of the family can help to break the cycles within a family just by looking at different ways of doing things. Number nine, always use positive words to and about your kids because this is what they will believe about themselves. And number 10, blended families. It doesn't matter where the love comes from so long as there's plenty of real, unconditional love. Thank you so much for being here. Please check the show notes for all the links related to this podcast, including book recommendations. If you have a story to share, questions about this episode, or want to connect in any way, I would love to chat. Please come and find me on Instagram at My Big Love Project. And please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Can you think of one person whose life might change a tiny bit in a positive way by hearing this episode? Please go ahead and share it with someone you know needs to hear it. These stories are so important. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique. And you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thank you for joining me. I'll catch you next week.